What we're going to do, you guys, is we're going to walk through one of Christ's parables that he told to the chief priests and the Pharisees um, called the parable of the wedding feast. So if you can find your way to chapter 22 of Matthew, beginning with verse 1, let's stand and I'll read my way through verse 22. It says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son, and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle. Fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. And when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore... What do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Let's pray. Lord, it's only by your grace and through your mercy and in the power of the Holy Spirit that we have got your words before us, Lord, your words to guide, your words to tell us the truth, your words to know you more intimately by. And Lord, as we take a look at this parable, we get a glimpse, Lord, of a heavenly mindset, an eternal perspective that I know, Lord, as you were walking the earth and you had an opportunity to teach this and tell this parable, Lord, I know your heart's desire was to lift people out of the temporal and into the eternal. So Lord, grant us that transformed mind to understand your truth. Open our eyes 
to see. Regenerate our hearts, Lord, that we might get a glimpse of your eternal glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. Okay, to set the, uh, set, I guess, the stage for this teaching, if you start back in chapter 21, verse 23, you see a section where the, the Lord's authority was questioned. And he deals with that. He's talking to the chief priests and the elders of the people, according to verse 23 of chapter 21. And he gets into, after he sidestepped the authority issue because they had no belief into the baptism of repentance set up by John the Baptist. And he gets into the parable of the two sons, the the parable of repentance in verse 28 through 32. He starts explaining what repentance really is as he's teaching the nation of Israel, as he's teaching the chief priests and the Pharisees. That repentance isn't just words that come out of your mouth, that say the right things, and then you go do the opposite. It's more in that parable of maybe saying that you're not going to do it, and then relenting or repenting, taking a 180 degree turn and doing that which you were asked to do. You get into the parable of the wicked vine dressers at the end, the last half of chapter 21, and he starts explaining to the nation of Israel, to the chief priests and to the Pharisees, how they have treated the prophets that the Lord had sent to tell them the truth, how they had treated when the owner of the land, when the king of that area sent his only begotten son. And he says at the very end of that chapter 21, in verse 43, he says, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Skipping down to verse 45, it says, Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard this parable, his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. And then begins chapter 22. Jesus didn't go anywhere. He's still standing there. They want to lay hands on him, but they don't. It says they fear the multitude. It says in chapter, verse 1 of our, of our parable here, it says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said this. So who is it he's speaking to? I think we tried to make it clear that what he's speaking to, who he's speaking to, are the chief priests and the Pharisees. He's speaking to the leaders of the church of the Jewish people. He's also speaking to the multitudes that are gathered around. And he opens up with this parable of the wedding feast, the wedding banquet. And he tries to lift these people and in turn lift us up out of the physical world that so consumes us. 
and to give us an eternal perspective of what's going on and what the actual meaning of all human existence really truly is. Now I know that's a big, big statement. What we have gathered here is a few characters and by just looking at this through observation, at least through verse 14, and I wanna get through verse 14 depending on how much time we've got before getting into 15 through 22, so we'll see how that goes. But we've got the speaking of the parable or the analogy of the kingdom of heaven. This analogy Christ speaks of is exclusively about Jesus. And there's characters that are gathered around that focal point of the character of this parable. You've got five different distinct groups of people in this teaching. You've got, and I'll try to go through it as we walk our way through this parable, you've got the unwilling, you've got the violently opposed, you have the sent out ones, you have the unworthy who are redeemed, and you've got the pretender. So as we look at this, and the Lord tries to take his, his audience and us and lift them into an understanding of what our lives are about. He lays it out in verse 2 like this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. This is the truth of these entire 14 verses. He lays it out by parable. So, so what does he mean by a parable? You know, he tells a number of parables prior to this point in the, in the book of Matthew. But, and, and you guys don't need to flip around with me. I'm going to do a lot of skirting around here. So in chapter 13 of Matthew, verse 10, and the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mystery. So we've got the violently opposed. This is the second group of characters. We've got the violently opposed. Now let me ask you this. Can the opposed, the violently opposed, be used for his glory? Absolutely. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ said, pray for your enemies. This is why the Lord said, you know, pray for those who persecute you. You know, we hear about that all the time, right? Let's look at a biblical example of that. How about Paul in chapter 9? Paul, murderer of Christians, stood by holding the coats and jackets of those that stoned Stephen to death. On his way to Damascus, out of town, right, out of Jerusalem, on his way to Damascus with papers from the chief priests and Pharisees that said, you can go gather up every Christian that follows this new way. 
bring him back, imprison him. And on that way, because the blinding light of Christ is blown off his donkey or whatever, and the Lord said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So, so you guys, let me, just, let me just make this truth plain if I can. Saul was converted at that point in time. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit of God. He was the living, breathing testimony of what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who now lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You guys, that's, new, that's newness of life. That's the old man dying. That's the new man being raised in glory to the glory of God the Father. So yes. Here's the other thing. Understand that as we enter the battlefield, you guys, as we enter the battlefield of Christianity, understand that the Lord Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father, guarding and watching over every single opposition that happens against his children. Why do you think Jesus said to Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because Saul didn't have anything to do with the persecution of Jesus himself. But he was persecuting Christ's people. Jesus takes that personal. So understand, you have strength and power as a follower of Jesus Christ. Walking forth in the truth of the gospel. Verse 7, but when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burnt up their city. The king was absolutely furious. Do we see the ferocity of the protection level of the Lord God Almighty over those that have been washed in the blood of Christ and wrapped in Christ's righteousness. The Lord takes it serious. Look at the disastrous consequences of refusal. It says they were destroyed and they were burned. And I tell you what, in, in opposition to the teaching of the Jehovah Witnesses. Everything I see from Genesis to Revelations as I study the word of God shows me there is an actual hell. Hell is real. And those people that are there, for example, like the rich man in Luke chapter 16, wants out. And it hurts, and it's uncomfortable, and there's no end in sight. Anyway, so just think about that. Think of the disastrous consequences for those that are violently opposed. 
So we get into verse 8. He said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. You know, Acts chapter 13, Paul said the same exact thing. Acts chapter 13. See if I can find where I was here. Here we go. Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. He was in the synagogue of the Jews at, at um, where was he? At Antioch of Pisidius. It says, Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. The king says, these people who I, who I had invited to are not worthy. Verse 9 says, therefore, go. Therefore, go. He says, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. The other parallel story in, in Luke chapter 14 says something real similar. It just says, go everywhere and find everybody and fill my house. But the words we need to pay attention to is, therefore, go. Do we understand that we are the servants of Christ that have been sent out so far through this parable? We are the servants of Christ. It says, therefore, go. If you take a look through, through all of the, of the Gospels, you see when the Lord sent out the twelve, in Matthew chapter 9, chapter 10, says the 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, commanded to go. In Luke, it says the same thing. In Luke chapter 9, He says, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And verse six, verse 6 says, so they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Verse 10, or chapter 10 in Luke. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go, saying that the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Send the Lord of the harvest or call the Lord, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The end of Matthew in chapter 28 says, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations. The end of Mark in chapter 16 says, Go and preach the gospel to everyone everywhere, every living creature. Luke, the end of Luke, verse 47 Chapter 24 says, And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And then we hear at Christ's ascension, right? And we use this, this verse a lot in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The Lord Jesus says, And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do we understand the command to go? 
How many of us in this comfortable culture that we've got here in the United States of America, in Prineville, Oregon, as followers of Christ, have the same excuses for not going as what the unwilling characters did at the beginning of this parable? Oh, but I'm too busy. You don't understand what I have responsibilities for. And the Lord says, listen, you've got one life. You've got one life. I've bought it and paid for it. I have equipped you. I've anointed you. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that is not only power to open our mouths for the cause of the gospel, that's power to go. Whether it's going across the aisle and meeting somebody else in here and loving on them, whether it's going across the street in your neighborhood and getting an opportunity to meet them, whether it's just praying every morning, Lord, create in me the opportunity this day that I may open my mouth for the cause of your gospel. So the third category of individuals in this parable are the sent out ones. Verse 10 says, So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. These are the unworthy that are redeemed, both bad and good, no goodness, no righteousness of their own. The unwilling had refused the king, said no to this free gift of a seat at the banquet, at the banquet table. There's, there's those that are violently opposed, which we, real, we will run into as we hold the banner of the gospel around this world. Guys like ISIS still exist. You've got the sent out ones. Every member a missionary, right? But then you've got those that are washed in the blood of Christ who have just said, Lord, I need you. And I'll tell you real quickly, ten and a half years ago, growing up in the church, being those that maybe knew who Jesus was, speaking of me, but absolutely living my own life, my own way. The Lord had put on my heart to get into his word, to begin a prayer life, of which I had none, and to find a gathering of the saints that I may worship in his name with you guys, with brothers and sisters in Christ. And on the way home from service one day, I'm driving home and I hear the Lord Jesus speaking to my heart and my mind saying, why, Blaine, have you never surrendered your life to me? And it was real. For those of you guys that maybe have not had an encounter with the risen king, Jesus, it's real. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, I've known you since I was six years old. I must have at some point in time. I must have surrendered to you at some point in time. He's going, but no. No, you haven't. 
And you guys, I got home, and um, my son wasn't living with us at the time. He had grown and left the house, and my daughter was there. My daughter and Linda stayed downstairs. I went upstairs into a closed room, dark, shut the door, hit my knees, and you guys, I started bawling like a baby. I said, Lord, I need to have what you've got. I can't go any further. So, Lord, scary as this is to me, I am giving you everything that I know is real into your loving hands. You take, take this life and use it for your will and your glory. And if that means I'm losing my life this afternoon, then so be it. I want to be with you, not have my own way. <clears throat> and you guys, these people, the unworthy who are redeemed, was like that. Because he met me in that place, poured out his spirit upon me, changed me to where my son, a month later, is going up to my wife and saying, Mom, it's okay. Dad's just going through a phase. He'll be back. He'll be back. And you guys, it was real. That was my son speaking to my wife. Because I was not the same person anymore. When Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, is no longer I who live, but it's Jesus who lives in me, that is real. So you've got these guys, the, the unworthy that have been redeemed. And you see these verses that describe who they are and how new they are. And I remember in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, one of the first ones that got my attention, right? It says, um, thus says the Lord who created you and he who formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. In other words, I have bought you out of sin and death. I have called you by your name. You are mine. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, He made him who knew no sin to become sin for me and you, that they might become the righteousness of God in him. So you've got this group of people, right? You've got the unworthy that are redeemed that all of a sudden have a seat at the banquet table. And it's real. They're wrapped in the white robes of Christ's righteousness. And then it says in verse 11, But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So you've got this group of people all wrapped in the white robes of Christ. None of these people had any righteousness of their own. All they had was trusting in Jesus that he paid the price. He was the spotless, blameless lamb of God who was slain for me. I trust him and I'll wear his robes and his righteousness. But you've got one whom the king sees. 
who is not wrapped in Christ's righteousness. Now we take a look maybe at the fifth category of people, and that's the pretender. Verse 12, so he, the king, says to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. A couple of things to pay attention to here in this parable. One is, again, this guy did not have the white robes of Christ's righteousness as he was sitting at the banquet table. But apparently he pretended well, right? He could say the right things. He could look Christian. Everybody thought he was Christian. He made his way through the door. He's sitting at the feast. Remember the parable of the wheat and the tares? The tares were the weeds that were planted by the enemy in the, in the, in the planting of the wheat. And you couldn't tell the difference. So you've got this pretender here, wrapped in his own righteousness, right? Real similar, you guys, real similar to over in Matthew chapter 21, the lesson of the withered fig tree. So Jesus is walking through the countryside and he sees a fig tree. If you put together Matthew and Mark's version of this, and he sees a fig tree with leaves. Now, it was not the season for figs, according to Mark's gospel, but it had leaves. Now, for those of you that understand it, I had to do some reading to understand this, but for those of you that maybe don't understand how fig trees work, they bear the fruit before the leaves come in. So if there's leaves, naturally, there's fruit, right? So Jesus makes his way over there, and he's walking through the countryside, and he sees up in there, and there is no fruit. But yet it's covered with leaves. It's dressed Christian. It speaks Christian. It looks to everybody else that it's Christian. And the only inspector for fruit in the fig tree parable is Jesus himself. And the only one that notices the pretender at the wedding hall is the king himself. Here's the thing. In verse 12, the king said to him, friend. Now, if that doesn't touch your heart, understanding the context of what we just talked about, then we need to pray for you. So the king notices somebody who slipped in, somebody who's bearing the leaves of fruit, but bearing no fruit. And he says, friend, why are you not wearing a wedding garment? Listen, Let's understand the compassion. Let's understand the love. Let's understand um, the depth of long-suffering and patience that our Lord has as he walks into that room. And he says, friend. 
and to read between the lines. All he's asking is that this guy that has made his way in there gives up himself, surrenders himself, and accepts Jesus Christ. For remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus meant it. There's nobody sitting at that wedding hall, nobody sitting at that banquet table that isn't wrapped in Christ. There's one way, one truth, and one life. So then we get into the consequences of refusal. The king, in all of his compassion, says, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? says he was speechless, which means he wasn't broken. He didn't speak up. He couldn't give up his righteousness. It's kind of like the young ruler, right, where, where Christ confronted him and, say, and the young ruler saying, look, look, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want, I'm willing to do anything you say. I will follow you. And Jesus looked at him and loved him, it says in Mark's gospel. This is okay. Here's all you've got. Sell everything you've got. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. You guys, we will all be taken to that fork in the road. We will all be taken. Every person in all of humanity, in all of human history, will be taken to a fork in the road. And this guy couldn't do it. And it says in verse 13, Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, the consequences of refusal is dire. It's harsh. And it's eternal. If I can have the worship team come on up. You guys, if there's any of us here in this room, and I imagine if you're like me, you're convicted by at least one of the five characteristics of the people in this parable. If you are unwilling, the king calls you friend, and he gives you a chance, and he asks you, just come and repent. If you are the violently opposed, which I don't think you'd be in this room if you were, if you're violently opposed, the king has a place for you at the banquet table. He calls you friend. If you're the sent out ones, which we all are in this room, And you've been using the same excuse as the unwilling. I'm too busy. I've got too many things to do. Do you understand there's one reason, one reason and one reason only you're alive and breathing and your heart is beating here and now? It's that you be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
you be an unworthy individual like I am, like you guys are, who is redeemed. And you go in the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God, who he's made abundantly available to each and every one of us to go and to open our mouths to speak. (coughs) And if you're a pretender, which I was from the age of six till I was 46 years old, it's time to get real. Because there's one inspector of fruit And there's one inspector of the wedding garments that are going to be sitting at that feast. And that's Jesus Christ himself. And yet, he calls you friend. Let's stand and pray. And we'll close in worship. Father God, holy King of all, in your Son's name, Lord, we bow our heads before you and we understand and we revere your kingship, your lordship, that you are the creator God of all and that we are only here by and through your mercy But Lord, you've invited us here. You've invited us here to hear your truth. You've invited us here to be um, comforted, Lord, to be convicted, Lord, to be touched. And Jesus, we thank you that in your mercy and your great compassion that you still call us friend. And Lord, that the only thing you desire when you call us friend is, is you just say, look, repent. Surrender. Let go of your self-righteousness. Let go of your own agenda. Let go of your own identity and wrap yourself in the identity of my holy, only begotten son, Jesus. So Lord, hear the cries of your people. Comfort us, Lord. Hear our prayer. Pull up alongside of us, Lord Jesus, and show us your intimate care and love. For Lord, we love you and we want to be at your table. We want to be, Lord, with all of our heart to be at your wedding banquet table, Lord. And wrapped in your white robes, Lord. place a calling upon our life and let us be your servants who are sent out. Lord, if there's anybody in this room, Lord, this morning who finds themselves in one of the categories, Lord, that needs to repent, Lord, I just ask that you would draw them forward, that you'd have them pull close to a neighbor Come to me, Lord. Come to Aaron and pray. For you hear our prayer, Lord. You are so faithful. Lord, we love you. And we need you in Jesus' name.